Welcome to the Emerge Leadership Connection, the podcast that gives you the keys to unlock your heroic potential, develop into a legendary leader, and emerge into who you were meant to be. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Dr. Aaron Smith, author of Awakening Your STEM School and Blank Check, Recreating America's Broken Schools, and discuss how to turn your diplomas into dollars, jobs versus careers, the number one thing we can do to improve the school system, and how the number of jail cells can be determined by the educational level of the surrounding area. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, founder of the Leadership Guide and finalist for the Extraordinarian Award for Coaches with Ideas that Can Change People, Businesses, and the World for the Better for My Ideas on Leadership. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to discover how to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders with the goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofit causes which are currently looking to impact the world and make it better for future generations. Now, on to the show. Hello there, Dr. Aaron. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Cody. How are you doing, buddy? You know, I am doing well, loving life. I am awake much earlier than I would like to be on a normal day, but I am excited for this conversation, so it's a thousand percent worth it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Ready to have some fun. Awesome. Awesome. So let's give everyone some context. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're working on. Okay. My name is Aaron Smith. I've been in education for over two decades and an author of uh, two books. My first one is Awakening Your STEM School, which basically helps schools transform into an elite STEM center. And then my second book is called Blank Check, Recreating America's Broken Schools, which really falls upon the premise, what does it take to build the perfect public school? And while working on it, that's when I actually discovered the true secret to workplace readiness and transforming diplomas to dollars. That right there is very interesting because we're in, we're in a society today where a lot of people have no clue how to turn their diplomas into dollars. And they end up spending thousands and thousands of dollars to get their PhDs and then they end up working at a place that you don't expect a PhD to be working at, mm-hmm. like Starbucks. It happens more often than we would like. And then a lot of times people who got a degree in one thing end up doing absolutely nothing within that degree. Yep. And so, so explain that one for me. Well, my dad really explains it the best. He said, you know, education is really all about getting your ticket punched. And it shows that you're trainable. It shows that you have a decent set of skills. And then from there, you then adapt yourself to the environment to which you want to work in. And, you know, understand the difference between a job and a career. You know, a job is temporary, something you probably don't want to be doing, whereas a career is something you truly want to go to day in and day out. And, and that's a part of the journey is for people who aren't in jobs that what they want to be in how are they redefining themselves? How are they making the change from their current status to the next level? You know, a diploma isn't necessarily the, 
the all the ingredients to a successful bake. You have to think of things along the way. You have to do some real world applications. You have to do some networking. You know, you have to make yourself irreplaceable so that those companies want to get you from day one. Definitely. Now, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but my feeling while I was kind of growing up, and this could be the, just the expectation that society kind of gave me, but was that all of that, that what you just said, is what college should have given me. But I know at least in my experience, and I know many of my friends' experiences, that's not exactly what they were given. So would you say that that should be the expectation of schools to give people those different things so they can actually come out of that education and actually be irreplaceable to a company? It should be. And, and I say it should be because, you know, each teacher has their own different style, their own forte. But, and, and take me as an example. When I graduated many years ago, I had a pure math degree. And of course, I was delivering the pedagogy, no problem with that. The problem was I didn't know those real life experiences to tie into the lessons. And, and looking back now, that's something that I kind of wish I had more of. And if we could take the time to embed them in the K-12 schools, as well as the post K-12, you know, that's going to amplify what, you know, prospective employees need. You know, that's the number one deal breaker right there is, you know, people ask that question, why do I have to learn this? If you take the time to explain it to them and show them how it's going to be applied, then, you know, they're going to be more inquisitive. They're going to be more apt to learning it without really shutting down. Definitely. And, and I think that's huge because in my opinion, there's a lot that's broken in the educational system. And this is a huge component of what I think's broken in the educational system, because I don't think you should go to school for years, pay tens of thousands of dollars just to come out with the, the entry level expectation. I think that you should be able to go to school and have a little bit higher of an expectation of what you're actually getting out of all that money spent. Oh, absolutely. And I think along the way, you need to have several conversations, whether it's a career coach, whether it's multiple career days, you know, what kind of exposure are you getting along the journey towards your diploma? You know, and, and I think that's, that's another dynamic that we forget in the process of choosing a career. You know, you think when people become seniors, they, they already know what they're going to do. And, and I'm 46 years old and I still don't know what I want to do in life. You know, I just want to know, I want to be a kid, have fun, but at the same time, make a difference along the way. Definitely. So, so what would you say if there was just one, one major thing that schools could be doing to really set people up? What, do you, what would you say that the number one thing would be? Number one, you've got to get the communities and the businesses back together in sync with the schools. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a monetary value, but, you know, having those honest communications, having the parents involved in decisions, you know, and the more we can unify together as a community to raise children together, the better the whole world is going to be. Now, why do you say that? 
Well, there you've heard of that old proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. And there's so much truth in those words because parents only see the children, but so much a day. But you think about how many times the neighbors see the children playing. You think about how many hours teachers see the students a day, how many times the coaches are working with the children during the day. And, and when you put that together, you know, you create a whole bunch of different things and exposures. I'm talking about good exposures to children that really can lead them in a whole new era. You know, that's informal mentoring. That's building confidence. That's building determination, you know, perseverance. All those things are truly the catalyst to a great and successful person. Definitely. I would definitely agree with that. I, I think that in a lot of society, a big part of what's missing is the, the whole concept of community. I mean, how often do people go to work and then they go home and then they go to work and then they go home and there's nothing else in between that. And there's, you know, there's, you don't have friendships. You barely have a family at that point. And, and that's a really broken part of society. I feel. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm kind of learning this myself is, you know, when you get up and you put an honest nine, 10 hours a day in work, you are definitely exhausted, but that's not fair to your children. So you, you try to get those extra three or four quality hours in to make a day. Part of the problem that exasperates the situation is that, you know, our phones, our, our social media, you know, was truly intended to be beneficial uh, for long distance relations. But the more we use this, the more we become distanced from the people that matter the most. Definitely. It's, it's kind of a huge epidemic um, at this point um, it, because the, the phone companies, the, well, the, the cell phone companies are designing devices that are literally addictive. And the app companies are designing apps that are literally addictive. And so, and so now we've, we've got not only ourselves, right, the people who are supposed to be responsible for our children, but also our children with these devices who are getting addicted to these devices at a much younger age. I just lost you. Okay. And, and I, I agree with you 1000%. You know, there really needs to be a balance. You know, kids need to know when there's a time to use it and when there's not a time to use it. Unfortunately, parents just, uh, and I'm not going to say all parents, but sometimes parents just throw an electronic device to them just so they can suffice them and do what they need to do. But they really need to throw, not necessarily a book at them, but, you know, <laughs> something that's going to encourage them to stretch their imagination or give them some crayons and a sheet of paper, you know? And, and honestly, I'm a book might be a good thing to throw at a kid at this point, because I mean, let's, let's think about it. How many books have most adults read and how many books have most kids read at this point? I mean, how, how early did you learn about cliff notes? Oh my gosh. It wasn't until high school, truthfully. <laughs> and see, I knew about cliff notes in middle school. Now mm -hmm. I didn't use them 
until high school. That was me though. And, and access to information is only getting easier and easier and easier to obtain. Yes. Yes. And so like, honestly, it might be good to throw a book at your kid. Not literally, you know, you don't want, you don't want to, you don't want to bruise them with a the book. That would be bad. But like, yeah. there are some really fantastic books that kids need to be reading, I feel. Well, and, and I think that's another secret that, that people don't realize is if you th- not throw things, I should definitely get off that acronym. <laughs> but if you persuade them or entice them to read something that is of their interest, they're going to be more inept to do those things. You know, how many times do you think of elementary school kids that love animals? And if you give them a picture book with animals and, and maybe an animal dictionary, they'll spend hours reading that and discovering that. And then they'll come back with little facts that you didn't know about. You know, like my daughter the other day, she, we saw three horses sleeping on the ground. I was like, I didn't know they would sleep on the ground. She's dad. They do it all the time. So of course I had to Google it. Cause I was like, she can't be right. And sure enough, she knew it. And it was because she read it in an animal dictionary. That's fantastic. So, so would you say that a part of helping children develop in our society is finding things for them to be passionate about? Finding things for them to be passionate about and continuously um, introducing them to new things, whether it's food, cultures, STEM, you know, uh, community service, you know, really develop them so that they become mature young adults at an early age and for them to decide what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Definitely. I love that. Now, what kind of, what got you on this path towards wanting to improve our educational system? When you see the things educators see day in and day out, it, it really bothers me. Um, you know, when I go to work every day, every day you, you get a, something new. I mean, unfortunately, you see child abuse. You see homelessness. I've seen kids with PTSD, believe it or not. Um, you know, and, and all these things, I wonder what could we have changed if we could help them in a whole new era? You've got kids in poverty that have been in generational poverty ever since four or five generations back. And, you know, if, if we could just wave the magic wand and, and do some of these things for kids, that's what it should be about, is helping one another along the way. When you see kids succeed and nobody's there, not because they don't want to, but because their families are working three and four jobs just to barely keep a roof over their heads, you know, that, that means that somebody else has to step up and show them the way until they can really find a way on their own. You know, that's kind of my drive here. And, and I feel like we live in a world where there are so many bad things going on and we focus on the bad things instead of just saying, Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's stop arguing about it and let's just do it. And, and that's the approach I want to take. I'm tired of the fighting. I'm tired of saying whose fault it is. Just fix the stupid thing and let's go. 
<laughs> and there's there's so much brilliance in that because how often do we only focus on the negative? How often do we focus on the fighting? And how often do we allow the the pitfalls to keep us stopped on the ground yeah. when really we just need to stand back up, dust it off, and actually get to work? Right? Yeah. Whether yeah. whether it's at the in the school system, whether it's in a business, whether it's at home, right? This is, this is something that more people need to start doing is stand up, dust yourself off, and, and let's figure something out, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and that, that's part of what drives me crazy is you look at the news, and the very end, you'd have an inspirational piece. That means the other 25 minutes or so are nothing but abysmal, you know, a very... Um, sad, deplorable situations. Even the weatherman, you know, wants to put rain on your sunshine, if you'll pardon the pun there. Um, <laughs> Love it. I know, I know. That's what you get for waking up early with me. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's so true. Like, even our news is, is designed to make us scared because yeah. they know, they literally know that people are more likely to watch them if they talk about the doom and gloom because the way the human psyche is set up, we look for things to be terrified of to try and avoid them, right? And so they know if they broadcast that, they're going to get a higher viewership. You know, I, I used to think that, but I wonder now if people were to try a news channel with just nothing but good news, what would it be? How would it be received? You know, you think about social media and, and how it's brainwashing us to do all these things from, you know, uh, play this game or do this and do that. If we use social media for the right things, you know, where they have, I don't know if you saw last year, but they had the, um, the police do the, um, the songs and they had to, um, you know, kind of karaoke the songs and kind of act it out. No, I you know, didn't see that. Oh, it's, I'll have to send it to you. You know, like um, one of the, one of the police uh, departments around here did Marky Mark and um, it was just brilliant. And, and to me, that was a celebration. You know, it, it is out of respect for the police department and they got seen in the positive view instead of the negative view. Sure. There's going to be some bad apples in the bunch anywhere but focus on the right things and it just makes our environment so much better. Definitely. It's, it's kind of like the, the new car effect, right? Yeah. When, when you decide you're going to buy a new car, suddenly you see that same car everywhere and you're like, hold on, did everyone buy the same car as me? And of course not. They didn't buy the same car as you at the same time. It was just, you weren't focused on it. And mm -hmm. there's so much good in the world. We're actually living in one of the best times in history. And even though there's all of this, you know, all this stuff we still need to fix, right? It's still one of the best times in history. And there's so much amazingness going on around you. You just have to look for it. You do. You do. And I guess it goes back to that old thing we were saying. It's just the first thing that sticks in your mind is, okay, here's what happened now, boys and girls. And then you just kind of roll with it from there. Definitely. And then, and then, uh, 
I, I sometimes wonder about what you were saying too, is what would happen if we had a news station that was all good news? Or what would happen if we had social media that was designed for all positivity and development? And I know that there are some of those in the works out there. Um, I'm actually working on a certification right now in my business with someone who's designing a social media that's designed for human performance, basically, and pushing yourself to optimization. And so that's what they're designing. But a lot of these things are still a work in progress, and we're not exactly sure where a lot of them are going to go. Well, I don't think anybody does. And you, you think about it, how many times have great inventors discover things through accidents? And, you know, if you don't do anything, if you don't move the ball forward, how are you going to know if it worked or not? You exactly. know, one of my former supervisors used to say, ready, fire, and then aim. Because if you take the time to aim, you're still not going to get it right. You know, you just might as well throw the punch and see how it lands. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, and um, what, one of my favorite things to say is it's better to have, you know, 5% of something than 100% of nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So let's dive into to some of your books. Okay. Those are, those I think are fascinating concepts to be diving into. So let's talk about your books. Sure. You want to talk about awakening first? Whichever one you want to dive into. Okay. So, well, awakening is, is basically um, a guide for people, no matter where schools are along the spectrum of whether they're just starting or they're already a STEM school, but it basically gives insights on how to take their school to the next level. You know, and, and it's, it is an evolutionary process because we need to understand that STEM is the catalyst to a stronger economy. And the way that you do that is you have to anchor it within the schools themselves. And, and part of the problem that I've seen is when people talk about STEM and the corporate level, it is not the same on a postgraduate level, not even the K-12 level. So you have to have clear definitions with that and understand, you know, to optimize things. If you talk in the same talk, it just makes it so much better to reproduce that environment along the way, you know, and you blend STEM with student center activities. For example, if you have an engineering class, you know, you certainly don't want to be taught an engineer lesson 90 minutes every other day. What do you want to do? You want to work on the CAD program? You want to build something with the 3D printer, put it together and really analyze it. You know, that truly is optimal learning. And that's what STEM does is it helps make that transformation from teacher center to student center. You know, and, and through that process, you learn new things. You learn new techniques. Hopefully you'll get some new equipment along the way. And that's, that is the power behind it because we live in a world where unfortunately a lot of it is still man um, dominated and we have to get more women involved. We have to get more minorities involved. Our bilingual speaking students, you know, they are so incredibly bright and, and that's kind of the charge behind that first book. 
Definitely. And there, there are a couple of things in there. One, bilingual people in general actually tend to be extremely smart because they're bilingual. Their, their minds are designed to, to pick up concepts from a variety of different places and make connections that people who only speak one language, that's, that's me, unfortunately. I did, my, my French lessons did not go the way any of my teachers or my parents would have loved for them to go. That's beside the point, though. But, but having those connections is actually extremely, extremely uh, awesome place for, for people to be in. Um, and I think a lot more people should become more bilingual. It's not easy, but I think, um, I think that would actually help a lot of people at a young age. That it, it is. With, with our world becoming multicultural, and you know, being able to do business in another country, much less another language, it's it's only going to expand the opportunities. You know, I just wish in the perfect world that we would be able to do that in America, other than just take it as a, a cherry picker class when you become middle and high school students. Definitely, yeah, because because I feel that's how it was for me, and I didn't. You know, I, I didn't appreciate my classes as much as I should have in the language department. I, I can admit that. I should have appreciated it a lot more. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I wish I'd put more time into it. So, so that's definitely one thing we can work with students on is how do we actually appreciate more cultures better in our school systems? Another thing that... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. no. And, and I, I, I totally agree with that because one of the first things that get cut in public schools are the arts, the PE classes. And, you know, in a way, Sir Ken Robinson said it best when you, if you ever listen to his TED talk, it says, you know, education is killing creativity. And when you take programs like this out, you know, you, you kind of stigmatize them and you, you kind of create a plateau of the learning, the optimal learning for them. You know, let kids draw, let them play in pottery, um, get them to do sculpting, 3D stuff. You know, that's what they need. You know, kids need to touch things. They need to, you know, really explore and discover things. And you think about what you did when you were five years old. You were on the playground, you were with dirt. You know, you were doing all kinds of cool stuff. You know, dirt and rocks, <laughs> dirt and rocks, and chasing lightning bugs, all that stuff. <laughs> Definitely, and there's there's such a there's such a a big thing in what you said there. It curiosity is like a dying is a dying art, and it's so important. I think in leadership, that's one of the biggest missing pieces is curiosity and creativity. And when you don't have these things from a young age, you know, where you're learning about how do you become more creative? How do you become more curious about things? Because those, I feel like those two tie in very well, hand in hand. You have to, in order to become more creative, you have to become curious about the things you're working into. And mm -hmm. so the curiosity drives the creativity and then the creativity drives the curiosity. And then yes. if you don't have that, going into the corporate world, going into families, right? I mean, as a parent, how often do you have to come up with a creative situation with your kids? Yeah, yeah. And then when you can't, what happens? 
you throw them in front of technology to do it for you. Yep. And, and see, great leadership does two things day in and day out. Number one is they manage the present. You know, they're, they're working on the bottom line, but they also should be creating the future and building a vision for the future. And that means developing your employees, strengthening your product line. And, and the, the, one of the best ways to do that is through creativity. You know, what is it that you have not done or you can do differently as a result of a change or shift in the right direction? Definitely. And, and that's so missing in the world right now, it, that, that creative vision for the future. Where can we go? What is possible? Like so many organizations are failing because they don't have a vision for where things are going to go in the future. Mm-hmm. They're so caught up in the now that they end up getting left behind because they don't have a future. They, they're literally not designing it. And the thing about any sort of growth, whether it's personal development, whether it's organizational development, whether it's family development, whether it's the school system development, is you have to have a creative vision for where you're going. And then you have to intentionally put the pieces together to get there. Exactly. And that's why so many businesses fail because they're not evolving their model and they're stagnant on just one aspect. You know, you, you have to create a cross section even in products, if, if you just focus on one thing, unless it's hitting a home run on all cylinders, your, your device is doomed. Yeah, exactly. And, but, but I feel like this isn't just a, a failure in our businesses, but I feel like it's a failure in, in our families as well. And it's a failure in our school system. Because when was the last time the public education system had a real update? That, and that's part of my drive here. And, and I mean, you definitely have scripted that well. It kind of segues into my next book is it, it allows people to create the opportunity to ask those questions. You know, what does it take to build a perfect school? What are the elements needed from the society to really capitalize on new initiatives? You know, because schools are truly the anchors of the community. And, and people forget that because that's how jails are created from third and fourth grade reading levels. You know, believe it or not, they, they predict those things and then they say, okay, this is how many jails we're going to need. If you can really? fix the schools, absolutely. say that one more time because that is huge. Yeah. There's, there's actually some studies out there that says they can predict the number of jail cells needed slash jails by the reading level of third and fourth grade. That is, that is terrifying to me that there is that high of a correlation and that our, our jail systems are educated enough to understand that if that doesn't improve, we need this many jail cells. And if our jail systems understand that, why don't our schools understand that? Because that's huge, right? Because it's the money. It's the money. They, they only want to invest so much in schools. And if you really do what you need to do, the economy comes from a stronger citizen. And, you know, that is a result of the businesses in connection with the schools. They're telling them what they need. They're telling the products that can be delivered as a result of the training. You know, 
believe it or not, here's another tidbit you probably didn't know. Public schools, all right, if they're not training the employees, they do have the right to go back and ask them to retrain them. Say that one more time. If people are not trained adequately, in other words, they graduated, but they didn't do the skill sets, okay? Mm-hmm. They can go back to the K-12 schools for additional training. Now, it's a rare thing, but, you know, believe it or not, that is, that is a requirement. Definitely. And, and I, that, that's a huge opportunity for people. It, it, if you didn't get what you needed and you're looking to pull yourself out of whatever back situation you had, Right, because a, a lot of people unfortunately didn't have a perfect growing up situation. Mm-mm. A lot of people didn't have a great educational system, and if they can pull themselves at least partially out of it, and then they have an opportunity to make it better, but they don't know about the opportunity. I mean, the opportunity gets wasted. It does, but I'm looking at it from a psychological point of view. What adult is going to admit that they need to go back to K-12 for additional training? You know, it's, yeah. it, it's hard for them to much less think back into a college, a two-year college, um, because some of them don't want to admit it. Some of them don't think they can do it, you know, and, and the reality now is two-year degrees can make just as much money, if not more money, than a four-year degree. Yeah, it's true. Actually, there's there's a lot of two-year degrees that will pay you a lot higher than most four-year degrees simply because there's a lack of people going into them, actually. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I've heard of drone operators with two-year degrees, and they have their licenses from the FAA making $90,000 a year. Which is huge, yeah. because yeah, how many incredible. people come out making $90,000 a year. Yeah, it, it really makes you rethink things. Definitely. And it, I feel like that's a testament to the four-year degree too, is, is has the four-year degree evolved enough? Yes and no. You know, I, I think in the STEM professions, I think they're on the right track. But some of the other professions, you know, the other degrees... I would be a little concerned, um, but yet I'm, I'm not truly well-versed in that to make a conclusive decision. So, you know, how does you can only speculate on that? Um, it, it all goes back to the professor who actually is teaching that. Are they modern? Are they progressive with their new pedagogies? Or do you have somebody stuck in the 60s mode that is, you know, truly teaching Fred Flintstone material? Definitely. Or teaching Fred Flintstone mindset. Exactly. Because I know at the university level, I did have teachers who were teaching Fred Flintstone mindset. I, I remember I had one teacher who I'm not going to name where I, I wrote a paper based on what I was getting out of the book. And I came up with evidence for that. Right. And I remember getting the paper back with a C on it. And, and the only thing written on the paper is, I don't agree with this. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. 
that those yep. are some of the people in leadership positions within our educational system. And that's, that's the name of the game. Unfortunately, instead of being open-minded, they're closed-minded and, you know, they're just stuck in their way. Definitely. So, so there, there, there's a lot of challenges we're facing with this. One other thing that I wanted to touch on before we touch into more of those challenges that I thought was brilliant you said before was that we need to change the focus from being teacher focused to being student focused, right? Mm -hmm. In my mind, the educational system should always have been student focused. And so, so why isn't it? We in America are using a model that was developed in the 1600s. You know, if you think about it, there was no school in the summertime because the children were helping the farmers. Nowadays, the only real reason why they're doing that is because it was set up that way and nobody wants to change it. Um, you know, number two, money is an issue. It is much easier for a teacher to do things and, and just lecturing them than to do things that they don't have. For example, a science class, you know, if you have just one microscope, it's much easier to tell the kids how to do it than if you had a classroom set of microscopes, petri dishes, and, and cultures, things that they can look at, experiment, and dabble with, is really enabling them to do that stuff. Definitely, I hear you. So, um, so it, it, so there's a lot of challenges going on with this all. So, so what would you say are some of the other challenges that we haven't really dove into? Cause I'm sure there's more. People are afraid to get out of their comfort zone. Huge, you know, huge one. When we get in a group, we are so afraid to step out of that comfort zone and, and the way I, I explain myself to others is if you go to a doctor, do you want to deal with penicillin or do you want amoxicillin or the Z pack? And of course they're going to say the latter of the two. And I'd be like, well, then why are you giving kids penicillin when you really need to be updating your, your pedagogy and the research with that? You know, it's not fair for kids to have an antiquated methodology if the new repertoire of, of opportunity is in their hands. Definitely. And, and I feel like that is such a, a failing factor in, in just society in general as we get stuck in those comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And I, I truly believe that people should be goal seeking. And I'm not saying you have to necessarily, you know, run for president of the United States or build a business to the highest degree or try and create the perfect family, but you should have something you're striving towards because I feel like that kind of fulfills the soul is, is to be striving for something. Mm -hmm. And then if, if you get stuck in that comfort zone, you stop striving. And then what happens? You, I feel like you kind of feel unfulfilled in what you're doing. And if you're stuck in, in that comfort zone, how do you show kids 
to get out of their own comfort zones. That's right. Yeah, and that's that's a thousand percent right. You know, teach the way you would want to be taught. And and it, it, that also is the same thing at the professional level is how many times do we get stuck in a PowerPoint mode for an hour and we're bored out of our skull two minutes in? <laughs> you, you know I'm right. I, and, I know you're and very right. Every stinking line of the PowerPoint to you. You know, if you're going to do that to me, just throw it in an email. You know, Definitely. make me learn it. Don't just Definitely. shove it down my throat. And and I, I on that front, I luckily had a, a wonderful, wonderful teacher. He he unfortunately died from cancer, but um, mm. he he was he was a huge role model in my in my life. On, on how do you really present yourself in the world? He, he did public teaching and, and presentations at my university, communication. And how do, how do you really bring that up? And PowerPoint is such, such a, it, it, it can be a really powerful tool, but it's a tool, it's not the whole system. It better not so be your whole system. Exactly. But it is for so many people, right? Because they're yeah. so comfortable with the slide telling them everything that they need on the slide, right? Then they don't have to try and remember anything. They don't have to try and create an experience. You can't, you can't communicate like that. Don't, don't even try to communicate like that. People will shut down fasting, blink an eye. Exactly. And so I, I feel like, that's that's another part of the problem in so many of these things we're talking about is that they're tools, right? But we're focusing on using the tool as the whole system as opposed to using the tool kit to build yes. the house, right? It's yes. like if, if I come at every situation with a hammer, I'm going to look for all the nails. But but sometimes you're going to be faced with things that's not a nail. And exactly. that means need a whole new tool system, right? Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're right. And unfortunately there are those that are never going to get that, you know, and, and the best advice I can, I can tell people is, you know, find the people that have grit. I don't know if you've seen Angela Duckworth's grit. Definitely. You know, find the people who want to evolve because they're the ones that are going to succeed. Definitely. And that's, that's where you start. You, that's where you have to start looking for the next generation of leaders and start looking for that potential in those leaders and start developing those potentials so that they can pick up the mantle and really drive the change that's needed. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. Okay. So we, we've talked about a lot of the different challenges, right? How do we actually go about getting past these challenges because great we've identified the challenge but identifying the challenge is only like a tenth of the actual battle right mm -hmm. there's the preparation but there's there's actually what do we need to be doing about this how do we actually make these changes we have to become active stakeholders in this process you know it's important to have a discussion but a discussion doesn't lead the journey the journey begins with the foot on the grounds and you just keep focused on what you need to do. People think that I can only do but so much to an extent you're right, 
But what happens if you're working side by side with somebody? Guess what? It's now double the effort. And the more we can build a movement, a positive movement in the direction where we're in the schools, where we're in the workforces together, discussing things, you know, engaging in things, that's when it's going to be a game changer. Definitely. It, it ties back to that whole community, right? We need to start rebuilding those communities. We need to start knowing who our neighbors are. We need to start knowing where our kids are going to school, start mm -hmm. knowing the teachers, start knowing the programs. Take that active participation in those different systems. That's right. That's exactly right. Awesome. What else should we be doing? I think number two is we, we have to find funding. You know, I think number one, we need to pay teachers more because we lose good teachers or we'll never get good teachers that are not willing or cannot support in an educational income. It, it, it's just like our, our servicemen. It's just like our first responders. You pay the people that are on the front lines daily, they will take care of you. You know, again, referencing back to the doctors. Doctors make a lot of money. It is because they have a lot of training, but they're going to take care of you because there's all an incentive for them to take care of you as well. Definitely. And I, I feel like that that's a gigantic problem is the, when there, there are certain needs you have to take care of mm -hmm. as a human being. And when you have challenges taking care of those things, it's really hard to be incentivized to do these things. It's, it's Abraham's hierarchy of needs, right? There's, you, you need to be able to live before you can worry about changing the world, right? 1000%. Yep. So, so in your opinion, and, and this, this is a huge, huge problem, which I know we're, we're not going to solve here and now today, but, but how do we get, how, do, how would you think we would go about getting the funding for teachers? Because it, it is a highly undervalued uh, career for many people. And, and a lot of teachers look for secondary and sometimes third jobs in order just to support themselves. Yep. And then a lot of them are trying to get their kids through school. And at the university level, the, the, the prices keep going higher and higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And so on, on your regular teacher's salary, you're not able to really put your kid through school. So you have to have a second, third, sometimes fourth job just That's to right. get them through university. So how, 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 how do we at least start to go about making these changes? The, the short term solution is you look for grants and you look for the critical areas and you have to take care of them first. And when I say that, I'm talking about your math people, your science teachers, you know, the people that you're already struggling to fill in the classrooms right then and there. And then once you do that, then you seek additional supports. And I'm talking about a private and a public partnerships. You know, whatever people can help out, they can help out with. For some companies, it can be equipment. For some companies, it can be, you know, uh, a monetary value. You tie in what the government can be doing. And I'm talking about the federal, the state, and the local level because, you know, when you look at school budgets, it does take all three levels to make a school division's um, cycle. 
So, you know, that's the, the first thing. Then while you're doing that and you're creating that short-term solution, you're also infusing a long-term gain as well. That's when it's going to sustain um, the and thrive in the culture of it is by having the ability to have kids sparking a new economy, a stronger tax base, and liquidate that into the teacher salaries. Gotcha. And and there's so much in there, right? Because maybe you don't have the power to impact at the, the federal and state and, and all of the different levels of the government. I mean, of course, we do have, at least in the United States, we do have some power in who mm-hmm. we who we elected as representatives and and guiding them towards what we're looking for in, in our areas, right? And the areas they represent. So we have some power. That's kind of the beauty of the American system. It's not a perfect power, of course, yeah. but there's at least some power. But then it's it's just really looking at where can I actually impact in my life? What areas do I actually have the power to do something in, right? Yep. Yep. You know, you, you think about it. If you can make a difference in one area in the school, what would you do? And, you know, everybody's opinion will be different. But my challenge to you is go do it. If you know you can make a difference, why are you hesitating? There you go. That's, that's beautiful right there. Is it's, it's, it's different. It's the difference between thinking on it and doing it which is the difference between failure and success. It's the difference between a follow and a leader exactly. is I can think on it all day, but are you going to take the action to actually do it? Exactly. That, and that's what it's all about. Awesome. So, so what else can we be doing? Um, I think we need to bring creativity back in the classroom. You know, we're so focused on test taking and, you know, don't get me wrong. I do believe there is a time and a place for everything. But if you have to test, you need to test towards the, the students' modalities. Not everybody's a paper and pencil test. Some kids are kinesthetic. Some kids are audio. You know, some kids are linguistic. If you focus on the test towards their strengths, that's when you'll truly measure success. You know, not everybody's a good paper and pencil test taker. And if you were to eradicate that, where you allow kids to choose and explore the ways that they want to learn and the ways they want to be tested, they'll far exceed it. You know, that's the secret to learn. Definitely. And, and not only that, but from, from what I understand, a lot of our test taking is really focused on one level of, of the human experience, the IQ, right? The intelligence quotient which isn't even from what a lot of the research is showing the best way to be determining someone's success level. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of different other types of quotients out there. There's obviously the EQ, which has become huge in our day and age. And then there's, there's another branch that's out there that a lot of people are just beginning to kind of touch on and no one's really dove into but, and it, it, they've got a couple different names for it, but like SQ, the, the spiritual quotient yep. or, or the, the, the fulfillment quotient, it, it's always around that line, but it's about the, the actual experience of the person. Are they living up to their potential? Are they able to create that vision? 
are they actually able to move towards it? And then EQ is that that interaction with humans, right? Which is so key. It, at this point, I feel like we need to have a better understanding of how do we develop that in our students? Because that's part of, I think that's part of the problem. When you're so focused on IQ, right? It's, it's always about pushing the, the intelligence to a higher level when really communication, connection, relationships often does a lot more than one person's IQ can do on its own. That's right. That's right. It just needs to be built into the curriculum, truthfully. And, and that's another issue for another day is, you know, <laughs> you've got to stop focusing on silos. Let's just say all the algebra, you have to blend in interdisciplinary things because that is connecting the dots right there. Oh, I, I like the concept of that though. Interdisciplinary, right? Because, mm -hmm. because how many times have you heard a kid going through and, and you said you got your degree in math. I'm, I'm not crazy in saying that, right? No, I got it. Yes. Okay. How many times have you heard a kid say that I don't understand why this is useful, right? And that's so sad because math is all over the place in the world and there yeah. is so much use in math. And it's like, why don't they see why it's useful? Because you know why it's useful because mm -hmm. you studied it for so long, right? right? But so many people don't, right? And it's, it's because they don't connect those dots, right? They're so used to saying Y's and X's and the equations and how do I balance this? And, but then like, how does that translate to the real world? And it does, but they're not seeing it. They're not. They're not. You know, and again, it goes back to the teacher. It goes back to the curriculum, even the pacing. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a multi-tier approach. Definitely. And so kind of just, just looking for how can we actually bring that, that fuller experience of what these different areas can actually use for this, can be used in for the students, right? Mm -hmm. Well, again, it goes back to shifting from teacher to student center things and just allowing to go beyond the basics, you know, bringing in an expert, so the kids can talk to them. Um, getting the most recent technology into the classroom. Speaking with somebody across country who's studying the same things. You know, there's plenty of things you could do to make that happen. Definitely. But it's about taking the action, right? Absolutely. And, 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 and from, from an educational standpoint, right? How many educators out there actively seek out professionals? To, to come in and, and just demonstrate something for the kids or explain to the kids how this can be used. How often does that happen? It's rare. It, it, honestly, it's rare. You know, a lot of times teachers don't have the time to do what they need to do, which is another issue. Um, you know, because you have so many other operational things to do. But the ones that are making a difference in the classroom are the ones that are going and doing the extras, you know, and, and I mean, seriously, you wouldn't be surprised to hear people spending 12 hours a day on lesson plans. And, you know, they truly deserve those three months off, you know, from lesson plans to teaching, to grading papers, to calling all that stuff. 
Yeah. So, so one side of it is if they are able to, to reach out to the, to the um, professionals, right? But then it falls on the professionals too. Yes. Are you doing anything to, to go help the educational system? Yes. Because, because let's face it, a lot of us like to talk about the things we know, right? Yep. And yep. so like, how awesome would it be for you as a professional to go into the work, uh, go into the, the, not the workplace, in, into the educational system and become someone's hero? Like yep. that's something really cool that people can take action on, right? And that, that's not like saying like you have to go there five times a week for an hour to help out the class, right? Yeah. But like once a week, Perfect. once every other week, once a month, yep. like that, that alone can create huge changes. I mean, think about it. If, if you had one professional come from different areas once a week, all the exposure that would give to the kids, right? And that's, that's four professionals a month, right? Yeah. yeah. How, many, how many parents are professionals? A lot of them. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And how many kids are there? There's usually 20 to 50, depending on the school, students in a class, right? Yep. And so, so that's hopefully, not always, of course, there's always things that can come up, but that, that's 40 to 100 opportunities of parents, right, mm -hmm. that can provide something to the kids. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So I don't want to take up all your time. <laughs> I would love to take up all your time because I think there is so much in our educational systems going on. But I, I also recognize that you've got a family that you've got to take care of too. Um, we'll just so have to make another date. I, I would love to do that. Is there anything that you would love to touch on right now that, that's like top of your mind, like we got to tackle this while we're here? Just be the change that our world needs. You know, do something different, you know, inspiring, you know, and, and take care of each other. Be the change you want to see in the world. It's one of the most powerful quotes, right? Yeah. Because we talk about change. We talk about wanting to see the change. But what are you actually going to do yep. in your life that you can have an impact on to make those changes? It's That's not right. about thinking about it. It's about doing it. Put the boots on. Pull your pants up. Put a belt on. Go out and actually do something. Mm -hmm. That's, That's what right. the world needs, right? It we absolutely need people does. to take action. We need people to step up as leaders and say, hey, I've got this thing that I can bring into the world. And it might be something small that doesn't make it any less important. Mm -hmm. That's exactly and right. Go do it. Go do it. Be someone's blessing. Be, be that change. Because yep. the smallest seed of change creates the most powerful movements. That's exactly right. Awesome. Well, Dr. Aaron, absolutely fantastic speaking with you. I would love to continue talking more. We should definitely set it up another time in the future to speak more on all of this. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for having me.
Definitely. If people are trying to get a hold of you, what are the best ways for them to get a hold of you? They can um, email me, Aaron at wr.solutions. Go to my website, wr.solutions, Twitter at work readiness, um, LinkedIn, of course. Awesome. And then you, you have two books. So give the names of those books again. Awakening Your STEM School and Blank Check, Recreating America's Broken Schools. There you go. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Aaron. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please make sure to go onto your favorite podcast player of choice and there rate the podcast, then subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And then if you truly want to be a leader, share this episode with someone that you know will be impacted because the best leaders fuel not only themselves, but others as well to their heroic potential. If you want to unlock your own heroic potential faster, then you will want to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders who are dedicated to unlocking their heroic potential, unlocking the heroic potential of others, and where legendary leaders are born. We also have a goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofits that are currently actively undertaking causes to impact the future in areas including neurodiversity, character strength, positive psychological research, homelessness, and more. Seize the call now. Go to www.theleadership.guide and click Get Free Guidance Now to propel you on your journey to legendary leadership. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, and I'm honored to have spent this time with you today. My final message for you today, and listen closely, it's time. Wake up your heroic potential. Let go of your fears and anxieties, and let's discover what is possible on your journey to become a legendary leader. Emerge and become who you were meant to be.